Since 2017, the Italian Wine Podcast has exploded, recently hitting 6 million listens. Support us by buying a copy of Italian Wine Unplugged 2.0 or making a small donation. In return, we'll give you the chance to nominate a guest and even win lunch with Stevie Kim and Professor Attilio Scienza. Find out more at italianwinepodcast.com. Chin chin. Welcome to this special Italian wine podcast broadcast. This episode is a recording off Clubhouse, the popular drop-in audio chat. This Clubhouse session was taken from the Wine Business Club and Italian Wine Club. Listen in as wine lovers and experts alike engage in some great conversation on a range of topics in wine. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. And remember to subscribe and rate our show wherever you tune in. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another series of Clubhouse Ambassadors Corner. So for today, we don't have a lot of people in the room right now, but remember that this conversation is recorded and we put it up on our Italian Wine Podcast every Thursday at 8 a.m. Italian time zone. So right now we've got our guest from the VIA community. We have Jessica van der Schee. Hi, Jessica. Hello, how are you? All good, all good. So I will be first introducing you and then I'll ask you a couple of questions, okay? So Jess is a WSET certified educator. Uh, she is a WSET diploma holder and winner of the Lustau Sherry Trophy for her top performance in the Fortified Wine module of the WSET diploma. She coordinates the Bernard Massard Wine Academy a WSET app affiliated with Luxembourg's largest private winery, Bernard Massard, where she teaches WSET classes and master classes. So Jess is an Italian wine ambassador for Vinitaly International. She helps source Italian wines for Bernard Massard's portfolio of international wines and judge the five-star wines competition in 2023. She's also a Valpolicella wine specialist and a French wine scholar with the Wine Scholar Guild, a top scorer in 2020 as one of the few people to score 100% of on the FWS exam. Wow, that's that's amazing. Congratulations. <laughs> Prior to working in wine, Jess was a corporate M&A lawyer and worked in London, Shanghai, and Zurich. So, yes, I've been I've been wanting to ask you this. So, you are you're an American, right? Why are you based in Switzerland? So, I'm an American, but I lived in London for a very long time, like 16 years, and now I'm based in Luxembourg. So, I've moved okay. around. Oh. So- Okay, so why did you suddenly turn into wine from a corporate lawyer? (laughs) That's a good question. I started um, taking WSET classes in London a long time ago, back in 2012, to learn about how to order wines on wine lists. Because sometimes as a lawyer, I'd be out with clients and I'd have to order wines for dinner and I just would be terrified. So I got in WSET and I just kept going and I loved it. And I thought this is way more fun than lawyering. So I changed careers. Okay, so you got bitten by, they say, getting bitten by the wine bug, something like that. Exactly, that's right. <laughs> oh, wow, that's, that's a really nice story. So, before we begin, I would like to ask you, why did you select Borgogno and Caranco as your favorite producers? I love wines from Piemonte and Mount Etna. 
um, with some of my favorite regions. And both of these wineries produce very delicious wines that show a sense of place. And I think they're quite iconic wineries for their respective regions. What are the learning objectives that we should be expecting from this interview? We should learn a deeper understanding of the history of Barolo because Borgogno is one of the wineries that played a fundamental role in the history. And we'll also learn about processes and reasons that led Borgogno to invest in a new and unique territory like Mount Etna. And we'll also discuss the points of connection between two regions that are very geographically distant, but also so close. Okay, so I know that you will be interviewing two people for today's Clubhouse interview. So one is from Borgogno and one is from Caranco. So before I ask you more about it, tell me how did you discover their wines? So I was tasked with expanding my company's Italian wine portfolio, and I was looking for an Etna wine that wasn't already imported into Luxembourg. I was actually on my way back from Sicilia Gita last year, and I had three hours at Rome Airport. So I sat in Italy, as one does, eating pasta and trying the wines by the glass. And I had a glass of the Caranco Etna Rosso, and I loved it. So I emailed Caranco, and they passed my details on to the 100 Vini team. And then I was very thrilled to find out that Borgogno was also looking for a Luxembourg partner. So we uh, import both estates into Luxembourg. Okay, so just to clarify um, for the audience, so we've got Luca and Andrea. So Luca is for Borgogno, works in Borgogno, and Andrea is Caranco, am I right? They're part of the 100 Vini group, and I think mm -hmm. we'll talk about that a bit later, but they both work on the different estates through 100 Vini. Okay, okay, I see. All right, so I'm going to mute myself right now, and I'll give you the floor. Good luck. Thank you. So today we are lucky to have two different speakers, um, as we mentioned, one from Borgogno and one from Caranco. So first I will introduce Luca Collia. He is 40 years old, born and raised in Calabria in southern Italy, right in front of Sicily. Since he's been 18 years old, he's traveled around the world studying, working and exploring different cultures. After some experiences abroad in Bulgaria, Estonia, Argentina and the United States, he came back to Italy where he located in Piemonte and currently lives there. He's been working in the wine and spirits industry for 14 years, and since 2019, he's been in charge of the export business development for 100 Vini, which has a great portfolio of Italian wines. He has a big passion for soccer, playing since childhood, and although he's already visited more than 50 nations, he loves traveling and introducing Italian wines and their biodiversity to people all over the world. Andrea Granaris is 30 years old, a younger, younger one, born and raised in Piemonte, a few kilometers from Milange. In 2012, he started to work at Italy, which is one of my favorite places, covering different roles for both food and wine aspects of the Italy business. After two years at Italy in Italy, he moved to Chicago to take care of the wine business development of the growing number of stores in the USA. At the beginning of 2020, he decided to keep following his big passion for wine, moving to 100 Vini as brand ambassador of Borgogno and as expert manager of the group. He recently achieved his WSET level three qualification and he's also launched a fine and rare wine business called Enohance. His greatest passions are traveling, wine, and dogs. Welcome. So I'm going to ask a few questions to Luca and Andrea. As we are fortunate to have two guests today, can you please provide a short summary of Antonio and Caranco and explain the relationship between the two wineries? So uh, I guess the first question was about uh, what link uh, uh, Caranco and Borgogno, right? Yes, thank you. So, um, Borgogno, um, so Caranco was born uh, from the meeting between uh, Borgogno and Tornatore. So, in a way, a combination of uh, history and experience. Borgogno, which is the oldest binary in the Barolo municipality, an iconic producer of Lange and Barolo, 
while Tornatore in a way is originally uh, from Castiglione di Sicilia and is of course one of the few remaining native producer uh, from the Etna. In 2018, these two vineries decided to join forces, uh, giving birth to Carranco, which is in a way this new project on the Etna slopes. Thank you. That's really interesting. So we'll talk a little bit more about Carranco in a few questions. But first, let's talk about Borgogno. I had the great pleasure of visiting Borgogno last winter, and I had a tour. And your team mentioned that Borgogno is traditional, but with an eye on modern styles, because you want your wines consumed all over the world. Could you please talk about how you do Nebbiolo winemaking in this process? Because as a consumer, I love how the wines are fruity, like there's not too much oxidation and the tannins are relatively fine grained. So it's traditional, but it's also not too, you know, it's not too heavy. The tannins are quite nice. Yeah, so I would say that uh, the change of uh, not only Borgogno has changed uh, quite uh, consistently in the last years. Borgogno has always been a very traditional producer, starting from uh, 1761. And still today, we consider ourselves traditional producer because we work with concrete for the fermentation, spontaneous fermentation. Uh, we work with medium to long macerations, and we work with uh, big Slavonian oak barrels mainly. But in the last years, especially especially with the new owners, the Farinetti family who took care of uh, uh, the winery starting from 2008. Uh, we also saw the introduction of uh, a more uh, modern style, uh, which doesn't mean uh, working with barrique or auto macerators, but simply maybe lowering the temperatures of the fermentation, slightly shorter in the duration of the maceration in order to have wines, which at the same time could be uh, enjoyable, but at the same time with the, the capacity, with the potential to age for a very, very long time. This is important because sometimes, uh, especially the Barolo as a wine, is the wine that people consider uh, the wine for special event, uh, for Christmas, for birthday, is the wine with the dust on the bottle. But this is not true anymore. Actually, everything is changing, not just Borgogno, but many producers are trying to produce wines which are more elegant, more fine, more fruit forward, in a way, in a more burgundy style. And we think that this is uh, the future of this appellation and we want consumers to drink the Barolo uh, old, but also the current vintage because uh, we love uh, this wine uh, in all its different phases. Me too. Thank you. That's interesting. Um, one of my favorite grapes is Timorasso, which I love the wines that you make from Timorasso. So how did you get involved in cultivating this variety? So Timorasso is probably one of our biggest uh, uh, project right now. We are investing a lot on this variety and uh, we are proud to be uh, the first Barolo producer who started to invest in this variety. Everything started actually in 2012 because in 2012 we were looking for the white Barolo and that's why we decided to plant uh, uh, a couple hectares of Riesling and we started to make our Lange Riesling the very first white wine uh, in our history. But a few years later, we understood that we couldn't make a, a white Barolo working with uh, an international variety like the Riesling. That's why keep looking around. Back in 2015, we met Walter Massa, that, uh, as you know, Jessica, is uh, the father of the Timorasso, the most important producer, and in a way, the person who saved this variety from the extinction uh, back uh, in the 1987. And when we met Walter, we immediately understood uh, the potential of this variety, and we decided to, to invest in Timorasso. 
purchasing three hectares back in 2015, and last year we bought additional four hectares. So right now we have reached a total of seven hectares, uh, but the production is still uh, quite small because uh, Timorasso is not a really easy variety to work with, very sensitive to diseases, very low yield per hectare, and these are probably the reason why this variety was so close to the extinction. But all the characteristics which are into this variety, so the complexity, uh, the aging potential, um, really make made us understood how important it could be uh, for Piemonte, and that's why we are investing so much on this variety. To give you an example, to explain also to the listener how we consider this variety, we try sometimes to compare Italy to another very famous wine country, which is France. And, we, and when we do that, uh, we can say that uh, Tuscany, in a way, is Bordeaux. So if we look at Tuscany, we have these big vineries, as well as there are big chateaux in, uh, in Bordeaux, but also, of course, the approach to the wines is similar, no? Bordeaux varieties, of course, in Bordeaux, but also in Tuscany, especially in the Bulgari area. And instead, if we look at France for Piemonte, we can say that Piemonte is Burgundy. And if uh, our Nebbiolo is their Pinot Noir, today we have our Chardonnay, and it's called Timoras. The name of the appellation instead is Dertona, which is the Roman name of the city of Tortona. So there is a very interesting equation when we talk, uh, when we try to compare Barolo and Dertona, because we can say that Nebbiolo stay at Barolo, just like Timorasso stay at Dertona. That's a great story. I love it. Um, and I, I think you recently released a single vineyard, Timorasso. Is that correct? It's a recent vintage? It is correct. We released for the first time uh, uh, the vintage 2019 of Scaldapulce because in the Colli Tortonesi, uh, we are in Monleale. We are doing almost the same thing we did uh, more than 50 years ago in this area. So we are now selecting the single vineyards. We have released Scaldapulce again, vintage 2019 last year. We're going to release a new single vineyard uh, probably next year called Valbona. And, but the aim today is to release on the market the first Dertona Reserva. The idea in the future is going to be to have, just like we are doing on the Barolo Reserva, also a library collection of back vintages of Dertona Reserva. Because again, for us, is our white Barolo. Well, that would be great to ta do a comparative tasting in a few years of the different vintages. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Wow, delicious wines. Another question. I see that Borgogno has recently started selling wines through Bordeaux's La Place. I was wondering if you could explain what your reasons are for selling through La Place and how is it going so far? So, uh, yes, a couple of years ago, we were reached by a courtier from, uh, from La Place, uh, which was looking for a great producer to, to introduce to, to La Place de Bordeaux. We were not uh, the first one, as you know, uh, but uh, we noticed that uh, uh, the interest from La Place uh, towards Piemonte is growing with uh, a few new vineries uh, being introduced in La Place recently. We thought along about uh, what to do with this request. Of course, we were honored because, you know, La Place is for sure the temple of uh, fine uh, and rare wine, and we were honored about it. Uh, but at the same time, you know that during the past years, we uh, invested a lot of time and energy and energies to build our relations with our importers all around the world. Uh, we started to, 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 to talk with our importer, and all together we understood that these uh, 
could have been a very good opportunity for all of us, not just for Borgogno. And so we decided to create two new wines to be released on Laplace in, a, in very, very limited quantities. So we released two different cases, cases of three wines made of B uh, Barolo Cannubi Reserva and Barolo Liste Reserva. So the first single vineyards Reserva ever released by Borgogno on the market. Uh, I would say that uh, so far we are doing pretty well. We, we are very happy. We receive a lot of uh, compliments from, uh, from everybody. And uh, we had the opportunity also to reach uh, those uh, a few places that maybe were not yet covered by our importers. So all together, we think uh, that uh, we, we will keep working with Laplace uh, and uh, little by little, we will uh, give the opportunity to everybody to, to taste our wines all around the world. So that's fascinating. So, you, so Laplace gives you a bigger reach. That's interesting. So what Absolutely. market has it gone into that's new for you? More than new markets, I would say like uh, new accounts, new places, because, you know, at the end, when you work with one importer, this importer uh, has, uh, let's say, 1,000 accounts and uh, it can grow to 1,200 or it can has, have less accounts, but at the end, it's always reach those certain number of uh, accounts. Having the possibility of working with Laplace uh, give us the opportunities also to reach other accounts because, of course, the wines are no more only distributed through our importers, but also through a few other partners. But I want to stress the point that since uh, the release was made on old vintages, uh, the availability is very low. We're talking about uh, um, about a thousand of bottles released on the market, so very, very little quantities. But uh, again, I get a great opportunity to let everybody taste our wines. Wow, that's very exciting. Thank you. You're very now, welcome. Okay, to switch over to Caranco for a few questions. Yeah, yeah, and give the word to, to Luca. Hey, Luca. Hey, Jess, how are you doing? Good, how are you? Good, good. It's a fantastic day in the, in the Lange area. We are here together with uh, Andrea today. Cool. It's very, very rainy in Luxembourg. So hope you're having a nicer day. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> so Caranco, so you talked about the collaboration, mm -hmm. but what drew you to this particular site on Etna? Mm. Uh, you know, uh, Borgogna being, uh, like Andrea said, the uh, most ancient winery you have in the Lang area is always uh, looking for new opportunities, new uh, areas uh, to to grow and uh, for us Sicily Etna especially represents an let me the word a new world uh, a strategic area uh, where mm, a lot of uh, very important uh, wineries from Italy are investing just think about Gaia some years ago uh, and uh, also the Etna wines are uh, between uh, among the most important uh, um, categories of the Italian wine uh, that are growing more than the others. So this is uh, for sure very important and crucial for a winery like Borgogno to be there with uh, a new winery with Carranco in this uh, in this case. But uh, to be honest, there, there is also a romantic part because uh, when we talk about Etna, uh, it's really a magic place. You know, it's a very unique terroir. There is uh, nothing like this in the world, actually. It's a very fertile volcanic soil um, that uh, 
uh, allow you to grow very fastly your plants. And also, you know, being on the north part, the most important part, uh, Carranco is able to um, to be on between uh, uh, 500 and 700 meters by the sea level. This is very, very important when you make uh, 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 the Etna Rosso, the Etna Bianco, for example. We are located in Castiglione di Sicilia, and there we have also huge uh, range of uh, temperature during night and day, you know, so the, the difference is huge between the night and day. And also, you know, you're very close to the Mediterranean Sea, you know, and it's uh, maybe the most fertile place in Europe, uh, for sure between the most important place in the world for fertility of uh, the plants. Um, so this is really a, a unique place because even because you have a still the volcano erupting, so all the ash you get from the eruptions uh, grant you a continuous recycle of new minerals, at least on the surface of the of the land. Uh, so it's really, really a unique place to make wine, and that's why uh, Borgogna wanted to you know to have a space there and to invest there some years ago. It's been already seven years for us. Uh, let's uh, finish this uh, this topic is saying that, uh, you know, it's uh, really a place for a beautiful, um, elegant wines, a prestigious area to be. To be. So for us, uh, it was uh, very, very important to invest uh, uh, on the Etna Slopes. Yeah, they are very beautiful, elegant wines. We love them here in Luxembourg too. Nice. <laughs> Question about winemaking. So how is the winemaking different? Let's take the Rosso, like the Norella Mascalese, different from uh, Nebbiolo. So an Etna versus Piemonte. Have you had any surprises? Have you had to adapt your practices? Oh, for, for sure, for sure. I mean, it's a completely different terroir. Uh, for for the Etna, we try to use less maceration. Uh, so to have, let's say, um, softer kind of tannins. Uh, and the extraction also is in this way is uh, more delicate. Um, instead, when we talk about Borgogna, of course, uh, like also Andrea said before, we have longer maceration. You know, we want to extract more from the Nebbiolo. Uh, we consider um, the Nerello Mascalese uh, um, a little bit like uh, the Pinot Noir from Italy, let's say. Let's put it in this way. So a very elegant, uh, thin in a good way wine. Um, which also um, have beneficial by the altitude, like I told you before. So uh, here we, we want a little bit uh, more elegance and less maceration. Let's put it in this way. Instead, when we talk about Borgogno, uh, we, we have a, a, a little bit more maceration, a little bit more extraction. The tannins are more important, even because we want a wine to live forever. And also when we talk about the differences, uh, also, the the oak uh, for sure. In in uh, in uh, when we make Carranco wines, there is less use of oak. Uh, sure, uh, we never use barrique, but always big oaks. But uh, when we um, produce in Sicily, we um, uh, let's say we um, do less uh, time into the oak than compared to Borgogno, so to the Lange area. Interesting. So that leads me on to my next question is that you make three different Etna Rosso wines. And I'm wondering if you could explain a bit about the different winemaking approaches to the three. Sure, sure. So for sure, we, we do the classic uh, Etna Rosso. Uh, so this is uh, fermented in uh, concrete uh, with uh, um, 
controlled temperature uh, without any maceration in this case. Uh, so, and then uh, it, it, it stays 12 months, one year in uh, big Slavonian oak. This is more or less the way we do it. In this way, we have a fresh kind of wine, very enjoyable from the first sip. For sure, you can uh, um, age it, but uh, it's also uh, good to drink it uh, even uh, during the, the year of uh, the winemaking. Uh, then we have the Etna uh, Rosso Tenu uh, Carranco, which is the single vineyard that we selected uh, once we arrived on the Etna slopes. And this is also uh, with uh, uh, controlled temperature into the concrete But then it does 25 days, more or less, it depends on the vintage, of course, of a technique which is typical from uh, Piemonte, actually. It's called submerged cap, cappello sommerso, uh, so to extract uh, a little bit uh, more from uh, uh, the grapes. And, and let's say have a, also a 20% of all cluster technique for this wine. So in a kind of French style uh, Uh, way to, to make it and then uh, uh, to finish 12 months uh, a little bit like the first one in a uh, big Slavonian oak and then to finish we have uh, the RV uh, it's it's a kind of protest let's say even if it is not uh, specifically it's a uh, RV means reserva but just for us because it's not legally a reserva and uh, 50% of it uh, of the Nerello Mascalese is uh, in temperature which is controlled in the concrete and then the, the other 50% is all cluster technique after two months those two wines are blended together into concrete and they stay uh, again between 12 to 18 months in a uh, big Slavonian oak it depends of course on the vintage because sometimes you have a hot vintage so you want to keep it a little bit less and so on so this is uh, more or less the difference between the three uh, that we make as threats Wine to Wine Business Forum. Everything you need to get ahead in the world of wine. Supersize your business network. Share business ideas with the biggest voices in the industry. Join us in Verona on November 13 to 14, 2023. Tickets available now at wine2wine.net. That's interesting. And I got to try the three with you. Yeah. And I, I did taste more structure in the RV, definitely. Yeah, for sure, for sure. It's the more structure. Is uh, the one we want to um, to have it uh, for for many many years. I heard uh, Andrea was talking about the Morasso, which is you know a long potential wine uh, to age. And it's the same here with the RV, but also for the crew. Uh, we have more maceration uh, focus on the first one. We don't have one, but in general we have a a lot of maceration to extract more and to have a long life for these wines. So what was the the first vintage of the RV? Have you have you had some years on it to taste? Yeah, 2019 we started uh we released it last year actually. Uh so you know, we, we, once we got on the Etna we started to experiment uh with everything with the single vineyards with the RV. So uh we started to release uh, some years ago, let's say six years ago the Etna Rosso and the Etna Bianco and then with the time last year we released uh, for the first time Uh, both 2019, the crew, the Tenuta Carranco, and the RV. Cool. 
I think I tried the 2019, actually. With yeah, yeah, the, the first one for sure. And, uh, you know, it's a very small production. Uh, when we talk about these two last two wines, the crew would be 2,000 bottles production and the RV even less. So, you know, it's a really uh, less than an actor dedicated to uh, this, uh, these two wines. Wow, less than one hectare. Wow. Yeah. Rare. Very rare. That's very cool. So as uh, Borgogno is pretty much 100% certified organic or almost 100%, are you going to be looking for organic certification on Caranco as well? You can bet on it because uh, we already started the process. Uh, so we hope uh, to have uh, very soon uh, certified wines. You know that in Italy it takes you three years to get a certification. So we started and we hope from uh, next year we to release uh, some uh, uh, vintages which are already organic certified. I must say it's not easy uh, because uh, it's, it's not just in Sicily everywhere actually. It's becoming very warm and uh, hotter than uh, used to be for sure. So you have to be very careful because uh, when you have uh, an organic uh, uh, path into the vineyards and when you um, when you start to do everything natural, let's say, uh, you have to be completely uh, 100% uh, in control of the vineyards. So to spend more time into the vineyards, to hope not to have a, a hailstorm of whatever the weather is giving us in the last uh, uh, months, years. So, but for sure, we are already enjoying this path and uh, for sure, we're going to have uh, very soon some organic certified wines by Carranco. Very cool. And there was a question about native yeast because you mentioned that Borgogno ferments on indigenous yeast. Do you do that with Carranco as well or will you be moving to that? Yeah, we do the same. We select everything by our vineyards, uh, for sure. Uh, this is the way uh, the Farnetti likes to work on uh, on the Andrea Farnetti likes to work on the, on uh, on uh, his wines, and this is already something we do. Uh, and you know, even because uh, in this way and in all the natural way you work on the wines, uh, spontaneous fermentation, uh, uh, the, the demonstration we 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 like to do. Uh, you announce uh, that the terroir we spoke about before, you know. This is a very unique place. Imagine that uh, when uh, all Europe was uh, completely, more than 100 years ago, completely full of philosophy and uh, all the vineyards were destroyed, on the Etna we didn't have any philosophy because, you know, it was tall and we were uh, between 500 and 700 meters, but also because it was an island. So it's really a special place. Became a UNESCO heritage uh, since 2013 for uh, even for the complex connection between uh, um, the, the terroir and people that live there. You know, the volcano for them is almost, uh, let's say, a god. You know, it's, there, is, there is a metaphysical... A relationship between, between people and uh, the terroir. So in this way, we want to respect 100% terroir, even in the work making style. That's great. I like that philosophy. Another interesting uh, thing I noticed when I did the tour at Borgogno and also from looking at Caranco's Instagram and web page is that you both have hotels at the properties. So how important is that tourism angle? I know you have this beautiful townhouse next to Borgogno yeah. with an amazing library collection. It's one of the coolest places I've ever been. And I'm wondering, you know, how does that, um, how important is that in your business? 
Well, you know, this is super important because uh, we can talk a lot about the wines, about how we make make them, about the terroir, but it's very important for people, for our partners, for our clients to come and touch with their hands, to see with their eyes, because this is this makes the difference. So for us, it's super, super important. For, for Borgogno, I'll tell you a, a little secret. We are uh, building, let's say, a boutique hotel that uh, still in, into the process, but it will be uh in for for the next year so we are very excited about that will be very small and uh for just for members and in Caranco we already have actually uh Palmento which is uh, was the place where they used to make the wines where there is also the cellar but at the same time you have like a, a little house let's say and now we uh transformed it in a bed and breakfast more or less uh with a swimming pool you know with a tennis field um, we have uh, also there are seven uh, uh, apartments, more or less rooms, apartments, call it as you prefer. There are uh, hybrid, uh, but this is super, super important because, you know, again, people, they want to see, they want to touch you with their hands. They want to discover, they want to get into uh, the, the winemaking uh, process. And this is very important because uh, just uh, 10 meters by the uh, cellar, you have uh, the place where you're sleeping. So how does one become a member of the Borgogno Boutique Hotel? <laughs> I cannot tell you this right now because it's a secret. I hope that uh, Andrea Fernetis doesn't listen to this, but uh, <laughs> because it is really, it's really something that we're going to exploit in the next uh, months or years. Uh, but um, we will let you know for sure. And just... I, I, we did a tasting, I think, in that room, and it was, it was honestly super cool. It was that's, the... that's Casa Borgogna, yeah. It's, uh, let's say, the shareable place where you can go to drink even older vintages. There we have even something that we are not able to sell because we don't have enough wine. I'm thinking about 19, uh, 1937, 1947, and so on, uh, vintages of Barolo Reserva, uh, because uh, we sell from 1961 to 2016, that just released. But uh, to have even older vintages is kind of difficult. So just for the members, it's, it would be uh, possible to drink those wines there. Wow. Have you tried any vintages that old? Have you been able to taste those? We, Andrea and I, we are very lucky people, I guess, persons, because uh, uh, just today we tasted, for example, 1982 with some uh, uh, with our partner from Germany. Uh, but in general, uh, yes, we are able even to drink 61, 37, 47. Uh, so we are very lucky people again. How do they taste? Like, how does the 37? Was there still some freshness in it? What, what was your they're very impressive, actually. They're surprising because uh, you would imagine something very mature, actually. Uh, the color, for sure, is changed completely, uh, as well as the nose. But uh, when, once you put the wine into your, your mouth, it's still fresh, it's still alive, it's still uh, giving you a huge uh, expression of our terroir, this personality, with this mm, integrated tannins. Of course, they're not... Uh, tenants like uh, for the 2016 reserva, but still you have beautiful, beautiful uh, integrated tenants and uh, also good acidity. Actually, at the same time, I think it will it will be interesting uh, to see how in the future these new vintages of Barolo will uh, develop. 
because you know uh, the temperatures, as everybody knows, are changing, and this uh, is quite clear when when we look at the wines. Uh, for example, if we look at, uh, at the past, like in the 90s, more or less we had uh, three great vintages, now 61, 64, 67. If we look at the 70s, again, three great vintages, 71, 74, 78. And little by little, going closer to our days, like in the 80s, 82, 85, 88, 89. In the 90s, even more great vintages, 90, then 95, 96, and so on. From 2000 on, almost all vintages are good enough to make a, a great reserva. And this is only thanks to the global warming. Uh, so right now, we can say that from a certain point of view, we are lucky because it's easier than in the past because we always reach the ripeness. But the future is quite uncertain, no? Because when you reach the peak, when you reach the maximum, uh, I mean, the risk is that the temperatures will be too hot and we won't be able anymore to handle the acidities. So quite challenging future in front of us. That's very interesting. So we'll have to wait and see, I suppose. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's, uh, there's no much we can do, but uh, this is the magic of wine, no? Uh, you you have to wait. There's no other option, even if you pay. If you Patience. don't pay, if you don't wait, you cannot get your answer. So Andrea and Luca, if you had to pick one wine from each of Borgogno and Caranco, which is your favorite and why? So, so very, very tough, to be honest. Uh, I start with Carranco, and when we talk about Carranco, to me, the, my favorite wine is the regular Etna Rosso, because I think that at the end, even if probably from an overall quality point of view, uh, the Contrada Carranco or the Arvu are could be better, let's say, uh, but I guess that it's quite difficult to find uh, that quality, like on the regular Etna Rosso, uh, at that price point. So in terms of quality and pricing, I think it's a, a really, really great wine. When we talk about Borgogno, instead, uh, excluding the Dertona, which we, we spoke about a lot, I would say that my favorite wine is our single vineyard list, because just you know that we own today six different single vineyards. We have Canubi, Canubi San Lorenzo, Fossati list, San Pietro delle Viole, and recently, uh, this is something that every most of people don't know yet, we also purchase uh, less than an hectare of Annunziata. Um, and of course, you know, Canubi in a way is the dream, no? Everybody knows this single vineyard, uh, crazy expensive and so on. But the most unique and the most historical for Borgogno is Liste. Uh, Liste is also a duopole because it's only owned by us and another producer. Uh, and uh, is unique because you know that in the last years, in the last 30, 20 years, a lot of producers decided to cut all the forests, all the trees around the area to plant more Nebbiolo, Nebbiolo, Nebbiolo. Of course, today is not possible anymore. But uh, all these uh, changes in the environment uh, change also um, the ability of these trees to lower the temperatures. Liste, in fact, grows in between two forests, two woods. Uh, one of them is called the Wood of Truffle. And thanks to this, we have like 
the crossing the vineyards from a side to the other, lowering the average temperature that we have during the year by two to three degrees less. Thanks to these, uh, we have a better polyphenolic concentration in the skin of the grapes, which are thicker, again, richer in polyphenolis. And thanks to this, we can reach very, very long maceration. We can reach sometimes 40, 45, sometimes 60 days of, uh, of macerations. And this is the secret of, uh, of this wine. And of course, also of the Reserva, because our Barolo Reserva is made 60% using a single vineyard list. That's fascinating. So you, you're in the global warming discussion. You actually you do have some land that is more resilient in a sense because of the forests. That's interesting. Yeah, for sure. The forest is helping us. Uh, then another big discussion in the future, I guess, is going to be about uh, the exposures. No? Because everybody was looking uh, in the past for the best the south, southeast facing hills. Uh, but uh, when the temperatures keep uh, increasing uh, this much, uh, the risk of being too well exposed to south is, uh, is behind the corner, no? So Canubi, for example, which is perfectly well exposed uh, during the warmest days, uh, reach very crazy temperatures. But I would say that the biggest challenge today is not just the temperature, not just the temperatures, but also the lack of water, because you know that here we cannot irrigate. We have to work with the the water coming from the sky, uh, but uh, when you have to face vintages like the 2022, so you have plenty of months without water, the risk of losing uh, the job uh, of a life, uh, it's, uh, it's behind the corner. Luca, I give you uh, the phone for... Yeah, Luca speaking now. Can you hear me, Jess? Yes, your favorite yeah. wines. All right, sure. When we talk about South, you know that I'm very sensitive because I was born in front of, like you said before, in front of the Etna. I was born in Calabria. So when, I, when I'm when i in my village in, in Calabria, going to visit my mother during summertime, I always see from my house uh, the Etna. So it's very, very nice for me to talk about uh, Carranco in general. But uh, if I have to pick up just one wine, I will uh, say the white uh, um, Caracante. So the Etna Bianco from uh, Carranco, because uh, it's really made by alchemy. Imagine that you are in southern Italy, and if you taste it uh, a blind tasting, uh, you would think about north of Italy. Or maybe if you think about south, you can think about Irpinia in Campania, no? Uh, why is so special? Why is so uh, different from all the other wines from southern Italy as a white because it's a beautiful elegance. This elegance is given by uh, this uh, alkaline soil that we spoke before, but also by the altitude. You know, the altitude is crucial for this wine. So to have a white uh, with such an elegance from that area is really, really interesting. And uh, something that uh, we'll discover in the next year, it will be the fact that... Uh, there is a debate uh, in Italy uh, respect to the fact that if you can age the Caricante for so many years. I had the luck to taste some old vintages like 10 years ago, 10 years, and they are perfect. They are very, very nice. Uh, so in, uh, in the Carran Carranco cellar, we make the Etna Bianco, the Caricante 100% without any oak, uh, just expressing the, um, the acidity, the elegance. So we hope uh, and I hope that in the future 
I will have the pleasure and uh, to share also with you, Jess, and the other guys that are listening, um, a beautiful uh, Caricante, uh, which for me is really a special, special wine. Instead, when we talk about uh, Borgogno, I have a personal story to tell you. Uh, uh, my favorite one will be always no name because uh, uh, I started to work for Borgogno around five years ago. And um, at that time, uh, I knew very well uh, Borgogno, but I didn't know about the no name. And the no name is my favorite wine. So one day I went uh, to visit my brother in Bologna and I uh, had uh, to buy a, a wine to celebrate something we were celebrating together. I had a good budget. I went on a shelf and I saw this, um, this label, you know, and it was uh, no name, Etichetta di Protesta, label of protest. But I didn't know anything. So I, I chose it from the shelf without knowing that uh, after a couple of years, I was enjoying the winery and uh, selling this wine. So for me, it's a really, really a, a beautiful uh, personal story. But also the wine is a beautiful wine. You know, it's a very successful story. It's a beautiful wine that we, let's say, we present, we introduce to all our um uh, clients uh, in the world uh, like a baby Barolo you know it's uh, a story of uh, resilience but also of uh, uh, really intelligence and changing uh, difficulties in a, a good opportunity I would say. I also love that wine. Could you just explain to the other listeners the story of why it's called No Name and how it sure. should be? Sure, sure, sure. Uh, so in 2008, the Farnetti family bought the winery after some generation of a uh, uh, Borgogna family and Bosques family. And when uh, uh, they bought the winery, Andrea Farnetti was 20 years old. He was studying at the Enological School in Alba. And of course, the most important thing in his life at that time was to release his first Barolo. And it was a 2005 vintage, uh, of course, to be released after three years. So being a small uh, boutique winery, we are not able to bottle uh, in one day the big uh, uh, Slavonian oak we own in our cellar. You saw some of them just... Sometimes we can bottle 18,000 bottles, but we, what we do usually is to divide in two tanks and to do it in two days, uh, 9,000 bottles one day and the rest in the, the, the second day. When you do like this, um, you have to present two samples to the commission that in Italy gives you the uh, DOCG appellation for Barolo. So that's what we did that year. So we sent the first sample, they tasted, it was perfect, uh, and they gave us the DOCG appellation. Then they, they, they taste the second uh, uh, bottle and they say, you know, this is not typical. Uh, so it, it's going to be declassified from Barolo to Langenebiolo. At that time, you know, it was a huge financial problem for someone that just bought the most ancient winery in, uh, in Barolo that owns all the vineyards act to Barolo in Barolo village. So Andrea was uh, 20 years old, very stubborn, and they went to his father and said, Ah, we have a problem. I have 9,000 bottles of uh, uh, Barolo bottles, but I cannot call them like this. Uh, and it's, it's a problem, you know. And the father, you know, after a couple of drinks and wines, they said, you know, this is not a problem. This is an opportunity. Uh, let's call it no name, label of protest, etichetta di protesta, against all the bureaucracy we have in Italy. Because we like to be farmers, to make wines, not to make papers. In Italy, there is too much uh, bureaucracy. I, even if traveling 
that much. We are seeing that uh, this is something that is common in all the countries. But for somebody that wants to make high quality wines, it's really a nightmare sometimes. In that, uh, in that case, it was a, a human mistake. But actually, it was a huge success for us because uh, from that uh, year, uh, every year now we declassify on purpose a um, part of our production of Barolo to just to Langanebiolo to call it No Name. And uh, I must say, it's, uh, it's becoming a brand into the brand, the No Name. Yeah, it's a wonderful story. And, it's, it's a, and I love how you turned it around. And it's also a delicious wine. It's one of my favorites. And it's, it's a good The price is good, you know, for the... Yes, also the price. You're buying a Barolo, but for a good price, let's say. Yes, indeed. So I think there might be some extra questions here. Should I hand back to the podcast team, Laika? Do you want to open the floor? Hello. So, hi, guys. So I just have to say that we've got a comment from Pablo before he left. He said it was a great chat and congrats, everyone in Jess. And he has to go. So um, so for those who are listening in, if you have any questions, you can raise your hand and I will put you up on stage. Okay, so no questions for now. So if you want to ask along the way, just write us here in the room chat and then I might probably read it or you can send your questions at info at italianwinepodcast.com. I'll bring back the floor to you, Jess, because there are no questions. So. Okay, so we have a few more minutes then we have... Uh... Well, I think we have nine more minutes. So we can talk about food and wine pairing because that's always fun. Do you guys have favorite food and wines for your favorite wines? You know that our job is to, to travel uh, and to visit uh, different countries. Uh, and quite often uh, uh, when someone asks uh, uh, your perfect pairing, uh, every producer starts speaking about the local food because, you know, Usually uh, the wines from a place match perfectly with the food from the same place. But in recent years, we, we wanted to start thinking in another way, you know, because we are selling our wines all around the world and we needed uh, to, to find other uh, food pairing. So, for example, for, uh, for the Etna uh, Rosso, something that I like to do uh, because of the very smooth and soft tannins, uh, especially during summer, which is, of course, not the typical period for drinking red wines. I also like to chill it a little bit, drink it as an aperitivo, but also with uh, uh, some salad, vegetables, uh, uh, for sure, with uh, some seafood. Uh, so it's it's very, very good per- pairing because I think that uh, uh, the salinity uh, that is into the wine Uh, can really match well, uh, maybe seafood, uh, especially with the uh, cow uh, as well. Uh, so this is one of the pairing that uh, I would suggest for uh, for the Etna Rosso to give, let's say, an alternative to the classic uh, uh, red wine pairing. Uh, while talking about Liste, of course, Liste needs uh, something uh, flavored, let's say, with an important flavor. Uh, is a wine uh, with very strong characters so of course game uh, meat uh, maybe local from Piemonte but not only uh, last week I was two weeks ago I was in Japan uh, we tried Liste with uh, an amazing Wagyu it was just perfect now because you have the fattiness given given by this this kind of meat which is balanced by these uh, uh, tannins 
very, very interesting. Um, and then, of course, uh, Barolo. And I have to say it because uh, the truffle season is starting uh, match perfectly with the white truffle, especially. So it's a pairing that nobody should miss. That sounds delicious. Now, what is the worst pairing you've had on your travels? Because I know you eat it with local foods. Is there anything that has gone with the Barolo that's been really awful? So after Korea, I visited, after uh, Japan, I visited Korea. And uh, I mean, Korea is, uh, they have super spicy food. And uh, as you know, as wine educator, uh, when you have a spiciness, uh, it's pretty tough to match uh, to match the wines with uh, with this kind of food. Quite often, even if you have strong flavors in the wine, uh, the risk is to have uh, your palate completely covered by this uh, hot uh, spicy sensation. Uh, so I would say that I don't have a specific pairing that they really ate, uh, but something that is quite challenging when I find it is, is to match any kind of wine with, uh, with spicy food. For me too, the tannins become more pronounced with spicy food. So that's yeah. why yeah, yeah. it's a challenge. Yeah. Interesting. Luca? Luca speaking. Uh, so for the white, for the Caracante from Car Carranco, for sure I'm a big, big fan of uh, pasta with vongole, clams. Uh, especially when they're coming from the Mediterranean Sea because they're very salty. So they match, uh, they match very well with the sovereignness of, uh, uh, the elegance of the Caricante. But uh, since you were speaking about uh, spicy food, I think this is a great wine to pair with spicy food because uh, it's refreshing your mouth. So after having this spicy uh, taste in your in your uh, palate, to have a little bit of this refreshing, uh, uh, good acidity wine, it's, uh, it's a perfect pair. So Thai food would be a great uh, match in my point of view. Speaking about the no-name, so about Piemonte, I'm very classic on this, and I like a lot the Agnolotti del Plin, which is a typical dish from this area, especially like Andrea said, if you have the white truffle on, and this is uh, the season starting now, so we are willing to to eat uh, a little bit of those uh, very soon. Um, yeah, and uh, for sure, I always think that... Uh, uh, Nebbiolo goes also well on its own. You know, it's uh, such an elegant wine that uh, when I want to treat myself, uh, maybe with my girlfriend on the on the couch Friday night, you know, after a long week, we just get uh, a bottle of uh, no name of Barolo, whatever, and uh, we have dark chocolate with us. That's it. You know, very simple. Uh, it's a really nice pair. That sounds delicious. I'm getting hungry for dinner. <laughs> Well, thank you very much. I don't have any more questions, and that was really interesting. Thank you for your time. Thank you very much, Jess. Grazie, Jessica. Thank you. Yes, so we are done. And so thank you so much, guys, for being here. For next week, we are still working on the next Clubhouse Ambassador's Corner, but we will let you know on our channels, on our Instagram and our Facebook, Twitter. So there you have it. Thanks, guys. Thank Good you night. very much. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
Listen to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Himalaya FM, and more. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. Until next time, cin cin.